Hello and welcome to season two of the Smart Buildings Insider. I'm your host, Lewis Martin, and my focus here at Charlton Morris is leading a global talent solutions team that delivers bespoke solutions to the smart buildings community. So we collaborate with the most exciting technology startups, as well as also some of the industry's key powerhouses across the globe. In today's episode, I speak with Darlene Pope, President of North America at Planon, which is a leading global provider of smart, sustainable building management software. Returning to the workplace is one of the most controversial talking points in this day and age, with many conflicting views on each organization's approach. So I look forward to hearing Darlene's insight into how smarter buildings, alongside technology, can change the future workplace for good. So without further ado, here it is, and I hope you enjoy. Darling, good morning. Good morning, Lewis. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, pleasure. Um, I guess before we discuss into the topic and um, further on, um, for those who don't know, it'd be great to get a better um, overview as to your background and, and we can go from there. Uh, certainly. I can give you uh, 30 years and 30 seconds or less. <laughs> Um, so uh, my name is Darlene Pope. I'm currently the president of Plan On uh, for North America. I started in the smart building space, uh, gosh, probably 30 years ago. Um, my background is actually in IT. So coming out of uh, college, I was studying computer science, and that was back when it was COBOL, Fa- uh, Pascal, and Fortran. Um, you know, came out of college and uh, moved to Washington D.C. and somehow got involved in uh, commercial real estate. Uh, so I used to manage a couple of multi-tenant office buildings in Washington, D.C. Um, but in my heart, uh, I was still a techie. And so back in the 90s, I ended up uh, having the opportunity to work for an Internet company. It was one of the first Internet companies to put high-speed Internet in commercial office buildings. So it was really the first time where I combined my passion for technology with my experience in real estate. And that's kind of where it all started. So back in the 90s, it was telecom. And then that evolved into in-building wireless. Um, And then I launched a consulting business doing technology consulting for real estate to help them put in-building wireless and telecom in their buildings. Um, And that evolved into, you know, one day I met a gentleman named Jim Young. uh, And he convinced me to come join him as a partner at Realcom. Uh, spent about four years at Realcom. Uh, I have a very uh, strong passion for consulting and education and really teaching uh, and bridging the gap between real estate and technology. So four years I spent at Realcom was fantastic. Uh, you know, taught all their seminars and webinars. I launched the Realcom Edge magazine to help get more of our content out into the market. Um, obviously worked on the conference every year and looking forward to going to Realcom next week in Orlando. Yep. Um, but that was, uh, you know, kind of the early days of, of smart buildings where we saw this uh, evolution from telecom into full-blown integration and networks and buildings. And, and I think that was really, from my perspective, where we saw the, uh, the launch of the smart building movement was kind of in the, in the early 2000s. Yeah, interesting because you you go to university to study is it politics and computer science? So originally it was computer science until yeah. I took a couple semesters of physics, and then uh, I decided to reroute. <laughs> so um, I ended up uh, actually graduating political science, which was another one of my passions at the time, and that's what uh, led me to move to the Washington D.C. area. And we're seeing that transition from different technology spaces into the commercial real estate more often than not. I guess for someone like yourself who, well, many years ago was making that transition, I mean, how difficult was that? Like, What were you experiencing at the time? What was the interest in order to do that, um, to move back or move into the commercial real estate, uh, first of all? Well, I think what I found was that, you know, commercial real estate tends to be a very um, traditional business. not a uh, strong focus on uh, high-tech technology. I mean, technology moves very, very, very quickly. Um, Commercial real estate, you build a building and it's going to be there for 30 years. 
so to try to marry the two industries, um, I found that there was a need, very strong need, for consultants that could speak both languages, that could understand the business of commercial real estate, but also understood the technology that could help those real estate owners um, benefit their business. And, and that's really when I launched my first consulting business uh, was to help them bridge that gap. Uh, and I think that that still holds true today. I think that technology moves at the speed of light. Um, and I think that we need to continue uh, with the consulting and the education and the solutions that can help real estate owners take advantage of the benefits that technology provides to them. So that may not be their background. They may not understand all the technologies that are available or how it applies to them. Um, but I've been able to find a very strong niche for myself in, in being able to help bridge that gap. Okay, interesting. So, so you, you spend a few years at Realcom, I imagine, and as I've heard, uh, the experience that you gained, very valid and, and, and uh, interesting perspective. You then move into sort of like a, a non-for-profit prior to um, your um, advisory group. Sure. So um, it was actually prior to Realcom, I joined a group called the Inbuilding Wireless Alliance. Uh, and I was one of the founding members. I believe there are four or five of us that uh, launched that organization in order to help accelerate the adoption of inbuilding wireless solutions in office buildings. And again, it, it, it went along with that same theme of uh, helping real estate owners take advantage of the technologies that are available to them. Um, and I remember back in the day when we were talking to real estate owners about putting DAS systems in buildings, one of the comments we got was that, you know, my tenants aren't asking for this. Why would I do this? Well, the reason was because if your cell phone doesn't work in an office building, you're not going to blame your building owner. You're going to blame your carrier. And so it was the education around that that we led us to, to launch that nonprofit to, to really uh, connect the building owners and the service providers and the end users and the solution providers to be able to solve a problem that everybody had, but nobody was addressing how to fix it. Do you think that's changed much? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what's yeah. interesting is I, I, I just got back from a trip to Seattle and I met with a group out there um, and they were they were asking a similar question about, you know, what does it take? What's it going to take um, to help real estate owners or to help the industry move forward and to meet market demand? And, and my answer was, it's not just about meeting market demand. It's about educating, because even if there isn't a demand for it, the fact that we know the technology is there, um, I think we have an obligation to continue to push, to continue to innovate, to continue to be disruptive, to continue to push the envelope. And it's not just responding to market demand because a lot of times they don't even know that they have a need, right? Mm -hmm. um, so really to, to, to present solutions and to present ideas and a vision uh, that perhaps people didn't even know was possible. Um, you know, I always, I always use analogies about the way that we live our lives um, and our personal lives and the dependence on our smartphones and our mobile apps and our homes are automated. and you know, we, we, we are so dependent on technology in the palm of our hand and instantaneous data in the palm of our hand in everything we do, except when we walk into an office building and then it just poof, it all goes away, right? So my response is it, it isn't just responding to market demand, it's creating market demand by educating and, and informing and um, uh, really thinking outside the box as to how can we take advantage of all the technologies that are available today to help continue to move this very traditional industry forward. And then the, the transition into JLL, WeWork, were, from, from my view, but I guess for, for the audience's understanding, just the continued evolution of, of continuing that digital workplace, digital transformation, um, and looking to make sure it fits for both JLL, um, massive, amazing company, and then also WeWork, which I imagine was, was a very, very interesting time in your career. Yeah, so when I left Realcom, um, I left to go back to consulting because I really, really enjoyed working with the end user 
um, and helping them along that journey because everyone was like, where do I start? It's too complicated. I don't know where to start. So we launched Core Advisors um, and I ran that company for about six years. Uh, and there were there was a group of us that that's exactly what we did. We helped real estate owners um, along that journey. Where do we start? You know, we would do visioning sessions and help them with what do you want the workplace to look like in the next three to five years? Uh, we would put together a master plan, which included smart building solutions, digital workplace solutions, an integration strategy to pull it all together. Uh, we worked with architects and engineers to help design the solution. Um, and then we helped Im implement the solution. So spent about six years uh, at Core Advisors and we were acquired by JLL. Mm -hmm. And I moved over to JLL uh, to lead their smart building program globally. Um, and what's interesting is I was trying to think of, you know, what is the common thread through all of the companies I've worked for, all the things I've done in my career. And I have to say that the one word is disruptive. Every company I've worked for, everything I've done um, has been disruptive. Even back in the internet days, you know, we were the first company to put T1 internet access in office buildings and, you know, Realcom, very disruptive, continuing to disrupt yep. the industry. Um, core advisors, JLL, WeWork. I mean, WeWork, you know, <laughs> if there's one word to describe, WeWork is disruptive. They changed the face of the workplace forever. Um, and now at PlanOn, um, again, very disruptive to have a traditional, you know, go into the traditional IWMS market and completely disrupt it because guess what? We're now a smart building company. Um, and what I learned at JLL, working with corporate clients all over the world, is that they are looking for that end-to-end -end technology strategy. It isn't just point solutions. It isn't just smart buildings over here and digital workplace over there. It's how do we pull it all together? So when you look at my role now at PlanOn and my background in smart buildings, it kind of brings it all full circle. So with our partnership with Schneider Electric, who's a leader in the smart building space, um, and plan on who's a global leader in IWMS, mm -hmm. we have the ability to pull it all together and deliver those end-to-end -end solutions to our clients, which is what they've been asking for all along. Do, do you see that as as being the, the, the future of our space? P individuals who, or organizations which aren't necessarily offering or being able to provide that end-to-end -end solution for any type of client, is, is going to struggle to compete with those organizations like PlanOn or some of your competitors? Absolutely. Um, and again, it's, it's disruptive. It's changing mm -hmm. the way that an industry works. It's changing the way that companies buy. Um, if you look at kind of traditionally, you know, corporate commercial real estate, um, they typically buy point solutions. They buy space management over here and they buy energy management solutions over here and they buy a work order management or CMMS platform over here and a visitor man, and they're all over the board, right? And so each part of the organization has purchased a solution for their particular needs with their specific uh, budget. And now they're trying to figure out how do we connect all this? How do we get data from this system to that system? And, you know, they build APIs and they pull it together, you know, through an API platform and, and try to figure out how do we now connect all this? So I think kind of this world of point solutions is, mm -hmm. is, is quickly dying. Um, you're going to see a tremendous amount of aggregation in the space. Uh, companies buying point solutions, um, aggregating point solutions together under one roof, attempting to stitch point solutions together. Um, so I think we're already starting to see that, right? But the, the beauty of a platform like PlanOn is that it was built from the ground up as an integrated platform from the get-go. So it wasn't a situation where they bought a lot of companies and attempted to stitch those solutions together. Which was saying a lot. Yeah. And then when you start to uh, look at the smart building side of it, you know, trying to connect occupancy detection into the BMS or co connected to the lighting control system or the access control system and take these traditional digital workplace IWMS solutions and connect them to the physical operation of the building, that's really game-changing. No, I agree. Um, I, I guess before we, we just move on to um, our first topic, um, what, one thing that I'd, I'd really like to highlight, um, just because I, I think it's important, 
Um, and we've off air, we've, we've shared many conversations on um, DE&I um, and you're a, a massive advocate for DE&I and, and are a part of, I believe it's the advisory council for women in prop tech. Um, yes. what, what is women in prop tech and, and, and what's the, the goals, the mission for that affiliation? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that I always love to do is make sure that I'm helping to uh, carve a path for other women in the industry. And, um, you know, it is a very male dominated industry. I mean, I, nobody's going to argue that. Um, it is, it is uh, very challenging, I'll tell you. Um, I think that there's not a week that goes by that I personally don't have some type of a, an experience um, uh, that continues to remind me that women are a minority uh, uh, in, this, in this industry. And so Women in Prop Tech uh, was an organization that was founded to specifically bring women in prop tech together um, uh, and to continue to help promote them um, and position them for uh, you know, uh, various positions within the industry to highlight them, to make sure that when you're going to conferences, that it isn't, you know, I hate to say an all white male cast of characters yeah. um, and to make sure that we are holding these organizations accountable for having a certain percentage of visibility for women and minorities um, within the space, because I think that the industry continues to uh, support or, or promote this very white male dominated industry. And we're the only ones that can break it. We're the only ones that can take steps to make sure that all um, talent is represented. Um, and whether that's, uh, you know, gender or race, um, you know, I, I think we can all do a much, much better job of making sure that we have diversity um, within the industry. And so my work with women in prop tech um, and other similar organizations mm -hmm. is really to make sure that women do have a, a, uh, an advocate um, and that we have a presence. Um, and it's not just a presence in the background, but we are a forefront um, and that we have the opportunities to really promote and support and spotlight um, the amazing talent of women in the industry. No, and I, uh, I think it's a, a fast, fantastic organization and, and affiliation. Um, so I, I guess on to the, the, the topic of this, um, this discussion then. Um, so from my perspective, return to the workplace, it's, um, it, it's a very interesting conversation that all of the industries having um i mean I'm, I'm keen to get your thoughts here but there's quite a quite a, a a different range of perspectives conflicting arguments let's say um i mean what, what are you seeing from your side in terms of return to work strategies and, and bringing people back into um an office environment so I think we're seeing all different uh, ranges of back to work. Um, you know, you hear every day about, you know, Tesla's forcing 100% of their workforce to come back to the office and Airbnb is never having their employees come back to the office and they're permanently going to be working from home. And, um, you know, it's interesting because you read literally every day about what, what other companies are doing. And my response to that is none of that matters. It doesn't matter what other companies are doing. It doesn't matter what Goldman Sachs or Airbnb or, or Tesla are doing. What matters is, what is your company doing? And what do your employees need? Because every company is going to be different. There is no magic 60% number. There is no magic square footage number. Um, it really comes down to uh, you know, what type of business you are and where your employees are most productive. So. You know, my philosophy is you go where you need to go to get your work done and to get your job done. Um, so, for example, with me, I've had a home office for 22 years mm -hmm. with every single company we just mentioned. I've been working from a home office. So this whole concept of everybody working from home and nobody's going to be productive is just kind of mind blowing to me. Um, but I go where the work is. I get on planes. I get in front of customers. I go to conferences. I go to corporate headquarters. I mean, you go where you need to go to get work done. 
So in terms of this whole, how do we get people back to the workplace? The first question is, do I need to get people back to the workplace? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not here to answer that question, but I am here to help you. If the answer to that question is yes, then we can certainly help help facilitate that and help do that. But behind all of those questions is gotta be the data. You've gotta have data around um, your workforce, uh, which of your workforce is, is, uh, is, is gonna be remote, which, which of the workers are gonna come in to the office. And most importantly, what are the utilization statistics around your workforce? So, you know, tracking that 40% of the workforce has come back to work in New York City, does that really matter? Does it matter to you? What matters is what percentage of your workforce is coming back and how do you run your buildings and how do you set up your workplace to make sure that you're prepared for whatever percentage of your workforce is coming back to the office. And then you can kind of tie that into but we need to make it enticing, right? We mm-hmm. need to create a workplace that people want to come back to. So if you look at you know, go- what Google did years ago to transform uh, what people are expecting in the workplace and what WeWork did to completely disrupt and, and transform what people are expecting in the workplace. And you know, even like SAS Institute campus in North Carolina, I mean, you have to create an environment where people want to come into the workplace, not just force people to come in because you think they're going to be more productive in in the office than they may be working from home. Yeah, and I I think the latter is quite an interesting point. Um, And from my perspective, in the recruitment space, uh, there's a a very, very few amount of companies which allow employees to work from home. Um, It's, uh, well, we were speaking off that, it's quite a cutthroat industry. Um, I think it comes down to the the trust element of um, being able to to trust your employees to to get the job done. Um, I, I guess how, how do you counteract that? Because you're seeing, for example, Airbnb um, are more than happy to have employees work from home um, indefinitely, but then you've got other organisations which are demanding um, employees come back to the office. I mean. I guess there's no right or wrong answer and it falls back into the original point, which is what's right for the company. But I guess what, what is your perspective in terms of the the middle balance? Like how, what strategies can you put in place to, to, to counteract that? Well, again, I think it depends on what your role is in the organization, because there are some roles that require you to be working with a team in person on a regular basis or to physically go into an office. But I think in terms of the trust factor, what's interesting is that prior to COVID, employers didn't want employees working from home because they felt like they wouldn't be productive and they would be, you know, spending their time doing laundry and walking their dog and taking care of their kids. And, you know, employers did not trust employees to work from home. So that was the issue with the trust factor. What COVID proved to us is guess what? The entire world had to work from home for almost two years, right? And what that proved to employers is they were wrong, is that employees actually can be productive and can be much happier working from home. Or what we're seeing now, which I think is gonna become the norm, is a hybrid, is to have flexibility around the workplace, is to enable your workforce and to trust your workforce. And first of all, if you don't trust your workforce, you hire the wrong people. Um, (laughs) So that's all I'm gonna say about that but really to empower the workforce to work where they need to work on a daily basis in order to be productive and to contribute the best and the most valuable version of themselves for the benefit of the company. Um, So if that means working from home and being on Zoom and and Teams calls, great. If it means traveling, great. If it means coming into a, a central office, you know, I think what we're seeing now is that companies have had to realize that they need to provide a flexible workplace. Um, We've had situations where employees are demanding, even before they accept a job, they want to be 100% remote. Um, Our workforce is scattered all over the U.S. Um, So plan on in in North America, we're scattered all over the U.S. and Canada. Um, We do have a, a central headquarters office, but we don't all work out of the central headquarters office, myself included. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I, I think that, that we have responded um, very well uh, to the results of this pandemic. Um, and I think it's proven that we do have to completely rethink uh, the future of the workplace. Yeah, no, I agree. I think flexibility is, is of course, very, very important. Um, something else that's important, depending on which side you would take to this argument, is is technology. Um, what are you seeing in terms of the role technology is having or the impact that it's having to either counteract organizations having a work from home policy, having that flexibility or um, the, the other side, getting individuals back into the workplace, whether it's from a operational standpoint or from a performance standpoint? Well, I think, um, you know, my philosophy is that data and the value of data is eliminating the I don't know factor. Right. Um, and so it's really important to have data around how many of your people are coming back to the workplace, what your utilization statistics are. Because right now, when you ask people, you know, what, what percentage of your workplace is coming back to work? I don't know. Um, what percentage of your buildings are utilized? I don't know. What do you predict your energy costs to be based on 30% utilization in the future? I don't know. How many large office or large conference rooms are being used and how many, I don't know, I don't know, I don't. And, and so to me, technology and data enables building owners um, to, to address that I don't know factor. Um, we, I think the number one data set that we need to solve for, and this is even before COVID, number one data set is occupancy and utilization. And not just how many people scan their badge to come into the building, but how many people are in the building right now and where are they? How many people are on the 10th floor? How many people are in this conference room? How many people are in the cafeteria? Um, Location-based occupancy data is absolutely critical to so many different components of running a building, um, whether that's energy management, whether that's safety and security, whether that's space management and workplace strategy, um, how we design our buildings going forward, um, what our indoor air quality and CO2 levels are. Um, everything that we do in a building is dependent on how many and who and where the people are and how they're using that space. So technology and data becomes absolutely critical in terms of everything we do in the workplace going forward. Yeah, and I think technology and data is very important and I've got a follow on to this. Um, another caveat to this conversation is um, attracting, but but also probably more importantly, retaining talent. Um, and you made a really good point that there are some individuals more, more so than not because of the pandemic where they would prefer to work from home. It's just that they're, they're comfortable individuals. They, they know that they're, they're able to, to get the work done. And if they don't want to work from home, then I, I guess my stance is that you should provide them with that flexibility. Um, but with other organizations, they're probably not there in that journey yet. Um, so I guess, how does that impact someone's ability or an organization's ability to attract and retain talent? Is it having a positive impact or potentially a, a negative impact on that side of things? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've worked with companies that have indicated that um, they literally have people that are turning down jobs because the workplace is so antiquated um, and they don't want to work in the physical facility um, that their job would require them to work. So again, we do have to change the workplace in order to entice people yep. to come back to the workplace, right? And, and once people have gotten used to working from home uh, for the last you know, year and a half, two years, you gotta be doing something different to convince them to get in a car and pay $5 a gallon for gas to drive half an hour to an hour to get to the workplace in the first place. So the question is, what is the value to the employee in mm -hmm. getting back to work? Um, but in terms of attracting and retaining top talent, yes, absolutely. Top talent wants to make sure that they are working for a company that is innovative. Um, and, and part of innovation is having facilities that are innovative. If you look at the way that we work from home, for example, um, you know, many people have 
much, much higher technology in their homes than we do in the office. <laughs> you know, I always talk yeah. about my house is fully automated, fully voice activated. You know, I walk in and I tell Alexa to turn on the lights and close the garage door and put bananas on the grocery list and play country music. And, you know, I, my kids walk into their rooms. They don't touch a light switch. You know, they walk in and they tell Alexa to turn on the lights and turn on the fan. And, um, you know, my, my, my grandchildren won't even know what a light switch is. So when you look at the automation, the technology that we have in our homes and in our everyday lives, the data that we have on our smartphones, uh, you know, whether it's uh, financial data or communications and text and, and social media, and we do so much in our everyday lives using our smartphones and using data and using technology. And then you go into the office and it all just goes away. You can't find a conference room. Um, you can't find your colleagues. Um, you can't book a room. Uh, you don't know how to get from point A to point B. Um, you can't adjust your temperature. You can't adjust your lighting. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's antiquated. So we have to start thinking about what is going to entice people to leave a high-tech, comfortable environment at home and get in that car and drive in. And they're going to want and demand a high-tech, personalized experience at the workplace. I mean, one thing for me is is um, having good air conditioning. Um, I mean, working from home, you have the ability to just monitor that yourself and change that yourself. But um, I mean, it's, it's never hot in the UK, but just having suitable temperature in the office, I think, is, is very important. Well, I'll tell you, on that note, you know, <laughs> when buildings are designed, and facility managers and engineers are running those buildings, they are trained to uh, believe that, and I'm going to say this in Fahrenheit, 71.5 degrees across the entire facility is success. So if you can maintain that same temperature everywhere in the building, you're doing your job right. And what they don't realize is that 71.5 degrees is not comfortable to every occupant. For some, that might be too cold, and for some, that might be too warm. Um, and so I think the industry has got to change from the fundamental design of that building um, all the way to the operation of that building, because the same temperature doesn't work for thousands of people in the same space. They want the ability to adjust the temperature. You can have two offices side by side and one person's freezing and one person's sweating. And that's, that whole concept has got to change, because even if you have a beautifully designed workplace um, and, and you go in and you're not comfortable, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color the chairs are and how many plants you put in. If you're freezing, you're not going to want to come into the office. Or if you're too hot, you're not going to want to come into the office. So it all really has to go hand in hand. And I think more people have focused on the uh, physical aesthetics of the building and the yeah. workplace instead of the comfort, the convenience, the safety um, and, and really looking at the technology that can contribute uh, to enhancing the workplace from that perspective. Yeah, it's a really good point. I think it, it's, I mean, I've only been in the space now for, for six years, um, but it, it's so refreshing seeing all of these reports and, and seeing all the data come through now. One of the, the, the individuals that I follow um, quite closely is, um, Joseph Allen, who I'm sure you know from um, professor at Harvard, and um, he states um, that men and women um, have a different temperature, um, which is sort of the norm uh, that they're able to, to work the, the, the best at. Um, and also that there is a certain temperature within the building where I guess you just become completely unproductive. Um, I think not not to jump down a rabbit hole from an air conditioning standpoint, but I think um, technology from that standpoint is is very important. And I guess in terms of attracting and retaining talent, if you're not going to do anything when it comes to making your workforce flexible or having these policies from a work from home, I mean, we discussed off air um, Charlton Morris's policy, which is a four day work week, um, which I appreciate. Might not be for others, but we've seen great results in and um, is, is quite progressive, or at least we think so. Um, what, what other areas can you do to increase the return to workforce? Because I, I guess the, the, the point or the question that I'd, I'd like to 
for you to answer is, I guess, how how much emphasis can you have on technology to to get individuals to return to the workplace? Because I guess, does it only have so much emphasis or do, do you believe that there is enough technology and there's enough innovation in the space to to really get that percentage to the required amount per per office building or per um, corporate headquarters? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of different types of technology uh, that contribute to that. One is, first of all, the basic operation of the building. You know, and obviously a lot of the work that Dr. Allen has been doing is around indoor air quality uh, because what employees are requiring when they come back to work is they want to make sure it's safe. Uh, they want to make sure that you now have a safe and healthy work environment. And so one of the major components of that is being able to measure and even report on CO2 levels, indoor air quality, um, you know, making sure that that facility is healthy when you do come back. So uh, the technology around being able to collect and report on your indoor air quality, I think, is really critical because the employees are going to want to know and they're going to want to have that comfort level that they can see the data and they know that the air is, is, is clean. And in addition to that, you know, when you talk about indoor air quality, you're going to be bringing in a lot more outside air to make sure that you've got fresh air in the building. But when you do that, guess what? You have to condition that air yep. more, uh, which means that you're going to have to use more energy to make sure that the outside air is then conditioned when it's coming in. So again, technology and data uh, have to be able to balance the requirement for um, you know, lowering your CO2 levels and improving your indoor air quality at the same time that you're not also, you know, uh, raising your energy costs. Um, sustainability, you know, that's one area mm -hmm. that in today's day and age, um, people are very, very conscious about energy management, sustainability, carbon footprint, um, all of your ESG metrics, uh, you know, uh, employees coming back to the workplace also want to know that the building is contributing to environmental stewardship yep. and that they are contributing to sustainability. And employees want to be engaged and actively participating in the building sustainability initiatives. So again, where technology contributes to that is being able to collect the data and share that data with the occupants. And whether that's energy usage, uh, CO2 levels, um, you know, really, it's not just data for the use of the building owner, it's data that is valuable to the occupants of the building. So that's kind of from a building operations standpoint. But then how does technology contribute to um, the comfort and efficiency and productivity and experience of the employee? And that's when we get into things like um, mobile apps, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, anytime you go into a facility, now you go to an airport, download our app, you go into a, a shopping mall, download our app, you go to a sporting event, download our app, you walk into an office building, you got nothing, right? So why is it that every building and everybody's got apps for this and apps for that? And the reason is that uh, consumers expect real-time information and real-time services in the palm of their hand. So part of the technology that contributes to a better workplace experience is having the apps that your employees are looking for to get the services and the comfort and the convenience that they need in the workplace. And whether that's room booking, indoor wayfinding, um, order your coffee and pick it up at the barista bar, find my colleagues, uh, enter a work ticket, um, any of your service requests, uh, employee feedback surveys. I mean, everything that that employee needs from their workplace should be available to them in an app in the palm of their hands. Um, so I think there's kind of two areas there, which, which actually ties together the whole smart building side of the house with the whole digital workplace side of that. Yeah, interesting. Very, very interesting. I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, for and there's a follow-up question here as well. If if you were a building owner, I guess what what percentage would you feel comfortable having individuals come back to the workforce? I mean, the, the ideal answer here is is of course 
90, well, ideal is probably 100%. Uh, but what, what's the realistic perspective from your side in, in having people come back to the, the workplace? Well, and again, you have to also recognize there's so many different types of building owners, right? So for corporate owner occupiers um, that want their workforce to come back into the corporate facilities, again, it goes back to creating an environment where they want to come back. Um, if you're a commercial multi-tenant building owner, obviously that's your business. Your business is leasing space. Uh, and so those owners are paying very, very close attention to utilization statistics. And they're listening to their tenants in terms of um, what percentage of space do they think they're going to need in the future. And they're starting to rethink um, how they position their space and what other amenities they might add to their space. Uh, but what's what's interesting is that you know everyone's talking about uh, you know lower percentage of people coming back to the workplace. But there's two other statistics that people aren't really looking at. Um, one of those is the way that we're designing space to the number of desks per person. Um, so I saw a study recently that we used to design for 0.8 desks, which is the ratio of, of, of people to desk. And now it's 1.8. So we're basically designing the space for, you know, half as many desks as you have people, which is interesting because in that study, there was no mention of how many square feet does that space take up? And the reason I bring that up is because we used to design space for 150 to 200 square feet per person. And then we got to a point where, you know, you're looking at uh, these flex uh, space companies and co-working that were designed for 50 to 60 square feet per person. So basically cutting the amount of space in half. So what we're seeing now is that we may have a lower percentage of people coming back to the workplace but the people that are coming back want more space. Yeah, I think they that, don't want to be elbow to elbow, you know, post COVID. They want more space. And guess what? It's also the return of the private office. People mm -hmm. are coming back and saying, I want my own dedicated space. Yeah. So it, it's going to be interesting how that plays out post COVID um, and what we see people really want when they're coming back. Yeah. And I think even before COVID, um, an example of innovation from a, a workplace standpoint was, was WeWork and, and having the right amenities in, in place. Um, for example, I mean, we've got a couple of um, WeWork offices as a business, uh, but our HQ, it's, you could fit double the amount of desks in there, but you want individuals to come into the working environment and feel um, inspired and and be able to innovate as opposed to it just being uh, desk after desk after desk. Um, so I guess that there's that side of things and and also something which has always played on my mind um, and I've asked a few individuals about this. But was it ever at 100? percent Was there ever? What, what was the occupancy rate? What was it ever at 100 percent in the first place? I don't think it ever was at 100%. <laughs> exactly. I think our challenge, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think our challenge was, and this kind of goes to uh, back to data. Um, do we have data on the occupancy levels of buildings over the last 10 years um, as, as kind of a comparison to what we anticipate going forward? Um, and, and I think the answer to that question is no, we don't. We have anecdotal, we think we're at about 70% or 80%. So the fact that we might be getting back to 60 or 70 or 80%, it, it isn't really a huge difference. It's just that we didn't measure it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking to a client a couple of weeks ago about their uh, back to work strategy and measuring occupancy and reporting on utilization and being able to see those trends. And their response was, well, we don't really have to measure occupancy now because we only have about 10% of our workforce that's coming back to the office. And I, I, I advise them that this is actually the perfect time to put in those occupancy detection solutions because you now have a baseline, right? So it, where they're thinking, why would I do that? Nobody's in the office. I'm saying this is exactly when you do it because you need a baseline to be able to measure against. So when you start putting in place these back-to-work initiatives, like, yep. oh, we're having pizza on Thursdays and <laughs> donuts on Tuesdays, you know, or whatever the case may be, 
as you're putting those initiatives into place, how do you know if they're working? So if you don't have a baseline right now um, and you don't start measuring and reporting and seeing what the trends are, how do you know if you're improving? The only thing you have to go by is the news and Elon Musk and and and, and what Airbnb yep. is doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. So I guess just moving on slightly, with PlanOn, I know you have a variety of solutions and it can affect whether it's a whether it's within the real real estate or facility standpoint, whether you're a service provider or financial professional. If if you want to start the return to workplace journey with any client, where would you start or where would you recommend, for example, that the end using the end user, a building owner starting to be able to change the way they're currently doing things and to have a positive impact? Well, I'll tell you, it isn't it isn't just post-COVID back to work. I mean, if if you have a large real estate portfolio, whether you're a corporate owner occupier, whether you are healthcare, whether you are a commercial real estate owner, there's a tremendous amount of data uh, coming in and out of those buildings. Um, and you have to have some way to manage it. So whether it's lease and lease administration data, whether it's space management, whether it's scenario planning, whether it's work order management, there are so many functions that you need in a platform to be able to manage all of those facilities and to get all the data you need out of those facilities. Everything from your energy and ESG metrics, um, your utilization statistics, your energy costs, your budget going forward, uh, the location of all of your assets. Um, I mean, it is mind-blowing the amount of information and data and things that you need to track in order to operate a large real estate portfolio. And so from a plan on perspective, that's what we do. We provide all the software and all the tools to be able to track and manage and report on, but most importantly, also to start automating all of those processes so that you're starting to streamline your business, when we start to integrate and automate into smart buildings, now we're actually impacting the way the building operates. Uh, we're impacting the way the HVAC system operates and your access control platform and your lighting platform by taking the data that we can collect from the workplace and from the people and feeding it into the physical operation of the building. So, you know, from a plan on perspective, whether it's back to work or whether it's, you know, uh, Going forward and and running that portfolio long term, um, I think I think everyone needs to take a look at uh, all the different technologies that are available um, and really putting together, as I mentioned in the beginning, that end to end technology strategy and not just thinking about solving for individual problems without thinking about how are we going to integrate all this stuff in the long run. You know, you really do have to have a vision have to have a plan and a strategy uh, before you start selecting solutions that then uh, uh, go into fulfilling that strategy. Okay, interesting. Uh, and um, with PlanOn, again, it's it's been quite a year for you and, and post-COVID, there's been some fantastic results from a growth standpoint. I mean, outside of your, your own plans, because I'll see you in Realcom next week, but um, from a business standpoint, what are your plans 2022 going into hopefully uh, another good year in 2023? Well, as I mentioned, uh, you know, one of the things that I've enjoyed in my career is being at the forefront of technology and real estate and working for companies that are disruptive. Um, and so in terms of uh, my role here at Plan On and why I came to Plan On in the first place is because we are the global leader in IWMS. And we've partnered with a global leader in energy and sustainability and smart buildings um, with Schneider Electric. So I'm absolutely thrilled about the future of Plan On. Um, I'm I'm thrilled about the fact that we are uh, very disruptive. And I think what you're going to start to see is, again, that aggregation of smart buildings and digital workplace solutions that are all starting to pull it all together Mm -hmm. because the market is demanding end-to-end solutions. And so that's what brought me to plan on. It's a, it was a very attractive uh, proposition in terms of where we are in the market. I'm thrilled to be in a position to help lead us in that direction um, and to continue to be disruptive. 
I like that. Um, you actually stole the answer to my second from last question, which was, uh, why did you join your current company? Uh, but I love it. I love it. We uh, we did this on the first series of the Smart Buildings Inside, and I think it's probably a good place to end here as well. The, the final question is, what has been the best piece of advice you've been given in your career? So it's interesting. Um, you know, I've always believed and been told that you should find something that you love and that you're passionate about and build a career around it. And, and I'm fortunate that that's what I've done. But I have to tell you, the best piece of advice that I ever received um, was actually a project that we were kicking off um, for a very large global customer. Um, and prior to the kickoff of that project, the account manager pulled me aside and he asked me a question. He said, Darlene, I need to ask you this. He goes, have you ever done this before? Mm -hmm. And the answer to the question was, nope. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, don't F it up. And that was the best advice I ever got in my career. Don't F it up. Simple, but very, very effective. So that's what I'm going to end on. Okay, nice. Well, um, it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much for your time and, and your insight. I'm sure the audience will have enjoyed this as much as what I have. So uh, thank you very much, Darlene. Thank you, Lewis. So that was my chat with Darlene Pope, President of North America at Planon. I'd like to thank Darlene again for her time and the insights she provided on returning to the workplace, her career history, and what Planon are working on to bring workplace solutions to organizations across the globe. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the points we discussed during the podcast gained some valuable insight from this episode. For plenty more chats with industry leaders and innovators within the smart building space across the globe, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform today. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Lewis Martin. Bye for now.